Uh, hi, hi. My name's Mark Grist. I, I used to be an English teacher. I'm approaching middle age, and I really want to learn how to rap. Last time on Mark Can't Rap. I got this track called Tiago Silvia. What did he say to you? He just looked, said, if I need any help with the lyrics, just look him in the eye. Nailed it. Brilliant. Nailed it. I can't remember the last time I heard any rap song that the person rapping didn't sound like they, they actually like felt that, you know, like mm. they were saying something with intent and purpose. It's asking people to turn off gravity. It's asking people to, to, you know, to, um, to turn off the sun. Listen, like really listen. Okay, we're 11 weeks into lockdown now. It's the middle of June, 2020. When the UK first went into lockdown, I lost the ability to write. I felt overwhelmed by everything that was happening. But thanks to this podcast and the people I've spoken to, I've started writing again. After chatting with Jeffrey Bocci in my last episode, I've been writing raps about my immediate environment, the same way that Dizzy, Skepta and Little Sims have done. It's been a bit, a bit hit and miss so far. Take a rest, sit, log into Netflix Chew on your dinner, skip to the best bits Lose all perspective, no friends, just possessions Look how we're nesting, digesting our endless, inventionless stresses Doing our best, killed all hope in those brighter day checklists No need to shave, each day so depressing Who needs a sunrise, the screen's iridescent Okay, <sighs> run out of breath Okay, perhaps more miss than hit But then this lockdown has been tough. Tougher than I could have imagined. Don't get me wrong, I've got so much to be grateful for. I've got my wife, Lucy, and our dog, Boo. And my friends and family are alive and surviving, but nothing prepared me for this. Most days just sort of meld together. Entire weeks have lost their meaning. Even simple things, my daily routine, Walking the dogs, tidying, cooking, washing up. These things feel exhausting in a way that they never did before. Working on this podcast is helping me to put one step in front of the other, at least. But there's still so much to do. It's hard to know which fire to put out first. I need to find a way to make money my website is a mess. I've got bills to pay and so many emails to answer, mostly from artists, teachers and parents around the UK. It turns out that my live-streamed workshops have had a real spike in interest. Nearly half a million views from families all over the world. And as a result, lots of people are asking me for advice or for support with their work or the work of their kids. None of this is paid, but my inbox is packed. Each email signing off with, 
I hope you're doing well in such a turbulent time. I wonder how long we'll be writing things like that for. When checking my emails one morning, I see that I've received an email from Luna C. Luna is a UK-based MC that I contacted about this project. His email isn't like the others. He doesn't mention turbulent times at all. There's just a thumbs up emoji next to the words, sounds good, let's get things done. It really stands out against the rest of my inbox. And yeah, I think, let's get things done. That sounds really good right now. I first met Luna when we were both rap battlers. We battled back then for the UK's top league, Don't Flop. And we always got on well, although it was difficult to chat because Luna was always surrounded by a wall of fans. And on the left-hand side, he just picked up performance of the year and newcomer of the year from West Yorkshire, Luna C. Let's go! Back then, Luna was the most popular active battler in the country. You could sell out entire venues on his name alone. Luna's rhymes, angles and delivery really stood out. His material did too. Bloodstraw, your rap name is Codswallop and your real name is Ryan Wammond. You're about as gully as Brian Adams. Most people were into Michael Jackson because they liked his dancing. You just admired his passion for child harassment. Luna was offensive about everything and everyone. His rhyme schemes were tight and inventive and they led to these outlandish punchlines that just made people laugh. You probably think you're brave because you're battling a better rapper. You're not, you're an ignoramus. You can't see you've just been dropped into a bottomless pit of greatness. <laughs> your, your mother's box is so big and spacious if she sat on a lamppost, her coccyx would hit the pavement. <laughs> Each punchline delivered was so unexpected. Outside the battle scene, there ain't a chance that he would ever get to rap with me. And this shit is more one-sided than an amputee's dance routine. <laughs> Why do you always look like you've slept on a couch? <laughs> well, you should try to utilise the rest of your house. <laughs> The crowd never knew what he'd come out with next. Now, one of the things that I really liked and that I still like about battling is that it pushes you to be creative within three very open but very clear constraints. Constraint number one, a time constraint. You have timed rounds to perform your material, so you're limited by the number of bars you can deliver. This means you have to edit your work down. Many battlers produce three or four times the amount of content that they end up performing in their rounds. Constraint number two. You need to raise your status. Connect with and impress the crowd. Make it clear that you're better than your opponent. 
You could do this through the complexity of your rhyme schemes, or by bragging audaciously, or just by being more entertaining to listen to. Then constraint number three. Lower the status of your opponent. You do this by taking the mick, pointing out their weaknesses, intimidating them, mimicking them, anything you can think of. And there are, in theory, as many ways to do these things as the battler is able to imagine. Some go to extremes. They investigate their opponents. They air deep personal secrets. Some brandish printed evidence of poor behavior, criminal records, proof of infidelity. One battler, Daylight, an LA-based MC, ignored his opponent for the entirety of his third round. He didn't rap once. He just ripped his clothes off, pretended to defecate on the stage before pretending to pass out. To come up with this third round, it took a lot of dedication. what we just saw right here, man. I have no words, sir. And could you please get the fuck up, man? Come on, yeah, man. Yo, you know what, man? Like, my man, get the fuck up, man. <laughs> come on, man. I didn't come out here for this. Yo, I you came know out what? Y'all told me I was spitting bars. He getting undressed. Yeah, but what about the third round? He ain't got destroyed the whole fight. He then he gets naked. That he ain't spit, it. Daylight, you didn't spit one bar in the third round. I'm pretty sure that's going to affect your score. <laughs> which was a surreal moment in battle rap. They didn't grab me immediately. You know, they let me, they let me pull my pants down. They were just watching, you know what I'm saying? And at the point where they heard me straining, cause I was like, ugh, ugh. And like, I couldn't get it out. So like I squatted in a different position to get it out more. And like, right when it was like, right when the turd was like almost coming out, like they came and picked me up and like dragged me outside. So they didn't let me finish my shit, man. And I, I'm, not, I'm actually very mad, like, cause I, I didn't get my shit off, you know? These antics exist at one extreme of battling, where wanting to stand out supersedes the importance of the writing. And these antics exist because there's so much freedom to those three constraints. Too much freedom for some. At the other end of the spectrum, less experienced MCs often avoid risks. Instead, they stick to what already works in a battle context. Tryouts tend to deliver more generic disses and rhymes. Some even cheat and bite entire schemes from battlers on other leagues. Because of this, battling is always in danger of becoming repetitive and generic, punchlines recycling themselves from battle to battle. Entire rounds can start to look and sound the same, like those emails in my inbox signing out the same way again and again. And then, amongst all that, someone like Luna comes along. Yo, you're a tacky basic amateur. You used to be in a crew called Grime Squad. You have an imagination barrier. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, 
is my debut and I'm humble, but this fussy ain't a challenger. You don't have the brains and stamina to match my grade and calibre. If you had a personality, I'd assassinate your character. Luna wasn't generic. He didn't stand out by dropping a deuce on the stage or anything else outrageous. His writing was just... different. His bars contained flair and originality. He didn't seem to give a toss who he offended either, so you never knew what he'd come out with next. It's such a treacherous journey through your mother's absurdly huge cervix you had to learn to walk before the bitch gave birth to you. Her vaginal cavity is like Wonderland. Every week she fucks about a hundred men. I was fisting that bitch the other day and I'm sure somebody shook my hand. And look, I know it's a bit weird for me to be saying this off the back of a barrage of dirty jokes. But at the same time, for me, as an English teacher, with the AQA GCSE mark scheme burnt into my brain, Luna's success made sense. A battle is stressful. It's a test of an MC. It's an exam. In a way, the audience are acting as examiners. They judge you, they decide your grade, and what makes examiners sit up and take notice is originality and flair. They're at the top of our mark schemes. They're how we define our highest grades. Yo, you should have just repeated my bars because you ain't winning this with yours, but I'd still beat you hands down because your delivery is poor. And you ain't got me figured out. I ain't predictable at all. I'll pull a samurai sword out, kick you in the balls. <laughs> I remember seeing Luna battle for the first time, how the audience responded to his material and thinking, OK, so in this art form, this is what A-Star looks like. Yes, how we doing, man? Luna's grown an impressive beard since the lockdown began. He's chilling on the sofa with a beer when we finally sort the connection out. We start off, like a lot of conversations I'm having at the moment, talking about how weird our weekly shops have been. Uh, I haven't gone early enough. I just wait till everybody chills out and then go when it's empty. <laughs> but the fucking shelves are empty as well. Pasta's going for cocaine prices at this... At this. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, man. I tell Luna about how I'm struggling to stay productive. And he's finding it pretty much the same. There's only so much you can write about when you've sat in a room for a week. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like you have to go out in the world and do things to be able to sit down and create something. I don't know, man. But it's crazy, like, having a conversation with someone who you haven't seen for a few days and, like, there's literally fuck all to talk about. You're like, yeah, how are you doing? You're like, yeah, like, nobody's done anything to actually have a conversation about yeah. other than sit in their living room. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. I'm hoping it's over soon. But then I don't know, like... I do a lot of travel stuff and I can't see that I'm going to go to as many countries. Like, every, no one's going to book, like, at schools overseas and stuff like that, so... Yeah, man, I've had to fucking cancel, well, postpone my tour. I was supposed to go to Australia as well, man, do a few shows. It's not going to happen until next year, man. It's fucking harsh. It's ruined the year, man. It's ruined the year already. <laughs> we move on to talking about the podcast. Luna's been enjoying it so far. Um, I feel like the, the way you're approaching this is sick, man, because like not a lot of people would acknowledge these things about it and that's what's going to make what you're doing interesting because you're, you're kind of not mad at failing or the possibility of failing and that's kind of an aspect of what you're doing. That's, that's interesting, man. I like that. That's good. This may sound weird, but I kind of hoped Luna would be interested in mistakes and failures. As a teacher... I've sat through a lot of moderations and exam board training. 
we looked at how to identify originality and flair, and some teachers at sessions I've attended have insisted that top-level responses are things you can't teach. They talk about originality and flair as if they're both lightning bolts of raw ability, destined to strike a handful and bless them with success. No point in trying to foster those skills, which I've always found a bit weird. I'm certain that you can teach students to develop original ideas. Just like you can teach anyone to take risks and to develop flair, it's just that doing that, pushing for originality in your work, is hard. It takes time. For mistakes and for failure, often time that we don't have within our curriculum. I'm interested to know what Luna's time at school was like. Well, I used to like do pretty well in sort of like English and stuff like that when like and creative writing and stuff like that. They kind of knew I was good at it and they asked me to do my GCSEs early for art and stuff. So they knew I weren't stupid, but like, um, I don't like I'd get put in because my problem was that I couldn't focus. Like I feel like I've got ADHD or something and I could never sit through a full lesson without fucking about. So I'd end up getting put into like these special classes with like five people who were all from different years. And then I'd stay in there for a few months and then they realize I was intelligent, put me in all the top sets. And then I'd last about a week and I'd be back in the fucking idiot class. So yeah, <laughs> until eventually they kicked me out. In the end, like so many talented MCs I've met and worked with over the years, Luna was permanently excluded from school. For him, this happened early in year 11, right in the middle of his GCSEs. The worst possible time. Did you get GCSEs in the end? Or did you get like... No, not one man, none of them. That's mad. <laughs> and I had to go to like a couple of proof schools, um, which didn't really last very long. And then I st started doing a course. And um, basically on this course, they had like a computer room and they had a recording studio and like a little classroom. There wasn't much there. Um, but the studio, I'd, I'd been sent to this same place. Basically, you can go there after school. Um, it's like a community centre thing. Uh, so I used to get sent there when I was like nine after school by my parents. So I'd already been in the studio and stuff and we'd made like a little joke track then. Like when I was nine years old with my brothers, like we all did a little verse on it and that. But I never did another song since then. And then when I was like, like I say, I was like 15, about to turn 16, I'm back at this same place with the same guy who owns the studio and that is called Jerry from Bradford. And our, our treat on that course, if we was good, was to use the recording studio. And at that time, everyone was like doing um, either grime or like up north, there's a lot of bassline music. So a lot of people like rap over bassline or, well, it's not really rap, they like, it's emceeing in some form though. Um, and I wasn't really into that, but um, I'd always listened to hip hop. Like my dad's listened to hip hop since I can remember. So I've always listened to, I've always wanted to be a rapper since I can remember, but never thought I could because I'm white and from Bradford. Because my dad listened to music, um, listened to hip hop, he, he listened to all the best shit that I now listen to, like Wu-Tang, Cypress Hill, like all the best rappers who I still listen to to this day. But because my dad listened to it, I was always trying to find rappers who my dad didn't listen to because I didn't find it cool. Okay, yeah, yeah. To what my, but I ended up listening to people like fucking Will Smith and <laughs> like Battle about Will Smith album. <laughs> I was going to mention Will Smith. Yeah, that was my first album was Big, Big Willie Style by Will Smith. It's like... Same, man. Same. First album, Big Willie Style. That's it. 
but yeah, uh, eventually I come around to the idea that, yeah, I think my dad's kind of had it right and started just listening to that kind of stuff, man. I still do. So yeah, it was weird when I started, man, cause like I did a verse and I just wanted to say ridiculous, stupid things and make people laugh. So we did this verse in, um, in the studio and like one of these kids who was like a baseline MC was like, nah, that you haven't just written that verse. That's somebody else's verse. You've just stole it. And I later realized that that's what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> like stealing yeah. people. Oh, he was taking. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, wow, I'm already better than you, and I've I've started today. So, like, I kind of just stuck to it. Away from school, Luna threw all of his energy into his writing, and he worked hard. He began to teach himself based on the artists he listened to. He focused on saying things he'd heard nobody else say before. One way he did this was through idioms. Idioms are just collections of words that have a different figurative meaning than the literal meaning presented. A phrase like raining cats and dogs, for example. That's an idiom. Other idioms include get your act together, go back to the drawing board, easy does it. These phrases all have an alternative accepted meaning that we've adopted. Luna became hooked on idioms and he peppered them throughout his tracks. He'd often deprogram the accepted meaning of an idiom and then use it to say something completely different. I put a little bit of lean into it like a Sprite bottle. I'm the best, so what if I sound biased? They don't know what they're in for like prisoners with Alzheimer's. Got your nana wearing Luna C merch. Like a dirty wanker, I'm cleaning up with these T-shirts. Ooh, sexy baby, that don't sound right. Came out the wrong way like Kevin Spacey. You love an idiom. Oh, I love like, it. You love an idiom in your writing. <laughs> yeah, man. When you're composing, like, when you're writing, do you often think of the punchline for the set of four bars and then lead towards it? Or does it... Or, like, have you thought of an idiom that you want to work towards? I'd say most of the time, yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's the play on words that hits me first. Like, someone will say something and I'll hear it and be like, yo, that could mean... Like, it usually comes from conversations. Like, someone will be talking to me. They'll say a word or, like, like you say, an idiom. And I'm like, shit, that that's has a double meaning to it. And then I'll think and I'll be like, right, what can, how can I make this work and fit into something? And then, yeah, I'll write the setup. But sometimes you get them good times when you just sat right in the bar and then you think of something that rhymes with it and you're like, oh no, I can make that into a punchline. That's almost more satisfying because it just like, you, I don't know, you, you want forced lapping, if you get me, that you wouldn't have got to without the first idea as well. That's what's satisfying, man. But there's one really long one. I was trying to find it earlier where you talk about like a, like a pregnant woman who's like smoking a cigarette and playing rugby. I'm not having it. <laughs> That's really long. Life's too short for the bullshit. You're not wasting my time, it's not happening Like a pregnant woman playing rugby with a stick in her mouth Eating morning after pills, I'm not having it There are other constraints that Luna likes to use in his writing. Back in season one, episode three, Tony and I talked about multis. Multisyllabic rhyme schemes, where you rhyme more than one syllable, but just focus on the vowel sound. Multis are used all the time in battles and rap tracks. They're satisfying to hear. Things like, I've got a heart of stone like a garden gnome for example, or the way that bibbidi-bobbidi-boo rhymes with Mission Impossible 2. Shout out to Shuffle T for that one. When did you spot the, like, the multisyllabic rhyme thing? Because, like, it takes people a while to get the ear for it, you know? And I remember it was like a fucking light bulb went off in my head, man. The person, I've always said this as well, the person who I learned this from is Maestro, because he's so clean, like, you can't not notice it, like, 
I went back and listened to music I listened to before Maestro and they do it, but not like, Maestro's like OCD with the multi-syllable rhymes. Check it, yo, you're from the harsh parts of London, the last laughing one who has his smart ass wondering how your large ass snacking, but he can't ask nothing, but you're supposed to know his ways of hold the ace with the poker face mask card shuffling, a sick dude who's been through a hard past suffering, so as far as skin goes, not even glass can't cut him, watch your yard start flooding once the bars start running from the mouth big enough for you to park large trucks in, your spars aren't bluffing when they talk about his sharp ass tongue, if you catch him in your path, start running, for you little ones out there who can't grasp nothing, time to listen on now here's where class starts young and microphone check yeah yeah it's so precise with it and so like on point with the multi-syllables that like i feel like if you listen to him for long enough it'll just click in your head eventually like i remember noticing i was like fuck this guy's rhyming like at the time i didn't i didn't even know the word for it like multi-syllable i just saw like yo this guy's like he's rhyming sentences do you know what i mean like it's crazy so when did you decide that it was something you wanted to like do for a living i used to <laughs> I literally remember having dreams when i was a kid of like standing up in assembly and rapping to everyone <laughs> but never thought never thought i'd be able to do it um but yeah probably when it started seeming like it was a possibility was after the battling hype to be honest man and i was like shit people are actually taking notice so when you went into don't flop you weren't sure then it was going to be like your job oh man when i went to dot flop i was already doing a little bit of music and um i remember watching uh, there's a video of biggie battling just on a street corner uh, over beats and they've got microphones in the street and everything <laughs> And I was like, wow, even Biggie has a video of him killing someone in a battle. So I, was, I just wanted that, like one video on, online of me just murdering someone. So I ended up doing a little battle in Bradford, um, got a tiny bit more confident because of that and then went to dot flop. And yeah, it just went better than I ever could imagine, to be honest. At its peak, how, how crazy did it get with the battling thing? Because I mean, I had a few crazy things, but probably no nothing like the level you were getting. It was surreal, man, because like, so this was either like my third battle or I think it was like my third battle against Vicky Worthless. And the night before, uh, JME had tweeted about me and I'm just getting like thousands of followers just all of a sudden. And then um, I've gone to do the battle the next day and the fucking, like, the queue was so big for the event that most people didn't get in. There was people sat on each other's shoulders to look through the windows to watch the battle from outside and shit. Like, it was fucking crazy, man. We were, like, overselling out events, like... Yeah, crazy, crazy times. People like Pro Green talking about me on like radio and like it was all a bit surreal, man. Like all of a sudden I'm going on Radio One and fucking SBTV, which was massive then. Some of Luna's tracks are very different to his battle persona though. My Best, for example, which covers his experiences growing up. I do this for the scruffy you on the bus with the shit trainers Watching all the other kids wishing he could switch places Hoping shit changes one day, no way to get money Sick of arguments in his house and going to bed hungry I'm one of you, used to take the long way home from school Just because I had nothing to hurry to Who unstable with a couple loose screws Never was a goody two shoes Throughout the track, he shares some really personal thoughts and experiences things that most battlers would want to keep hidden. 
how does it feel like sharing stuff that's personal? Like I try and avoid it all the time when I'm writing. Yeah, it's a strange one, man, because it's almost like a not very enjoyable thing to do as well, like to put yourself in that place. And one of the reasons I've avoided it over the years is because I'm like, yo, when I go to that place and I'm thinking about these things and trying to write about them, I'm not happy. I'm like, I don't actually enjoy this. So also this kind of goes hand in hand with the battling. I never really spoke about my personal life in any way or really even put anything online about my family or anything too personal just because I knew I might be doing a battle at some point. And so I kept my cards close to my chest. I don't want to give anybody any ammo, that kind of thing. I want to, I, I want to seem pretty much bulletproof and untouchable in the, and like that there's nothing that I take serious. Like that was a part of my defense in battles that I'm just like, I don't, if I don't take this situation seriously at all and I laugh at, laugh off all your aggression it's gonna work against you kind of thing when I, when you're a new face in the battle scene as well like nobody knows anything about you there's no mistakes that you've done and i enjoyed having that like there's not shit you know about me or that can say about me so i can't, i tried to keep that up but i think after a while when i'm like right now i make music and i'm not a battler i can't really consider that i have to think about my album and kind of letting people get to know me man and that that is a decision man this is a really important point. Luna is saying that eventually, as an artist, you have to let your guard down and let people in. It might not be now or when you start, but one day it has to happen. Like people now, cause I've said that in a song, like, you know, there's, there's people who are fucking evil online. They'll say like anything you put out there, some, there's someone who's going to use it against you. But eventually you just have to be like, so fucking what man, that's some scumbag who probably hates his life on a fucking comment section. Like you have to let that go and kind of be a tiny bit vulnerable in your music, man, just to open up and show people that you're a real fucking person. Do you know what I mean? I think an album you have to show a bit more, man. Like if it's just one thing, over and over again, you feel like you're being hit over the head with a bat just constantly for 45 minutes. Like if someone just does one trick that they just rinse through a full project, it's not, I don't know, you have to have a bit of range, man, I'd, I'd say so. Yeah, like let people get to know you a little bit. There's always gonna be the punchline guy, and at one point it was Eminem, and at one point in the UK it was Professor Green, and whoever it is now in the battle scene who's just the fucking bars guy. Uh, who just does the best bars and that's it. Like, there's always going to be that guy, but there's always going to be the next one who comes and replaces that person. And if you if you was the last guy who used to be the best, if you haven't got some kind of story or something for people to connect with, um, and Eminem's a good fucking example, man, because if he didn't go into writing songs about his life and even though it was crazy shit about fucking kidnapping his girlfriend and driving her off a bridge or his mum doing drugs, if he didn't show a side of his actual life and it was all just bars about fucking what, doing drugs and whatever, someone would have replaced him and done it better eventually because it's just one trick, you know what I mean? Yeah, that all makes sense. As an artist, you learn to develop and hone a creative process a process you've specifically tailored to your own individual needs. But you've got to be able to challenge that process, to question the rules you've set yourself and tweak them. That takes courage, though, and drive. As Luna talks, I'm struck by just how driven he is. All that chaos and frustration that must have come from being kicked out of school. How hard he's worked since. What's the difference between making a mixtape and then going on to try and make an album? I mean, an album, I might make 40 songs and pick out the best ones and still sit with them, live with them, 
play them in people's cars, play them in, on other people's stereo systems, different rooms, different settings, get everybody's fucking opinions on it and just go through it with a fucking fine comb and change everything until it's perfect in your mind. That's really intimidating. <laughs> That's really... <laughs> but yeah, like, right, the thing is as well, with my first album, I put a lot of pressure on it. Um, my second album, I made a little bit more like a mixtape in the sense of I, did, I didn't actually make loads of songs. I made it like a mixtape, but it didn't feel like a mixtape. I made it like a mixtape in the sense of I didn't do loads of songs. But I took my time with every song. I didn't want it to be as much of a stressful process, to be honest, man. Like, I wanted to, I wanted to enjoy it a bit more and do something a bit more light-hearted as well. Like, very important, it's not a serious, serious album where I'm like, on Dirt Brain, I'm like almost telling a bit of my life story a little bit and trying to cover a bit of ground and do, do some fucking meaningful shit as well as some just punchline-y light-hearted stuff but yeah we've, we're very important i was like nah this just has to be bangers and be a bit more my personality and not be as serious and deep so yeah man there's different ways to approach it you don't have to make 40 songs bro like I, that was the one thing i learned with his second album like i seen pharrell in an interview one time and just say that look if i make a project i make 10 songs and i put those 10 songs out and when i heard him say that i was like fuck i'm doing that on my next album because i'm not i'm not putting myself through this torture of making five albums and cutting it down to a one man fuck that when you're doing poetry often you like your, your gigs are like live gigs and it's almost like a comedy set or something like that like normally you write pieces because you go oh actually i kind of need a new opener you want to tell them about yourself you want to say a bit about family or something like do something to let them get a, ha a hold on who you are and then by the end you can make like a big statement so normally now i've got to the point where when i'm writing new bits i'm kind of like I need a new opener. I need like a new second piece. Maybe this could sit well here in a set and stuff like that. Um, do you think like that at all when you're making tracks? Do you think like, oh, I need something that could be played in the club or I need something that would work for this? In a sense, yeah. I never make a song thinking, oh, this is going to get played in a club, but I do a similar thing where I'm like, yo, I want to play this live and this is going to be like the certain, you're more likely to use the more energetic songs live. So now and again, I have to make a banger when it comes to a banger, I guess Luna's track Mug stands out to me. It's high energy and aggressive over a prodigy sample. I slanted, I can't walk properly, I'm too high, damn it. Plus I'm pissed, I've been drinking spirits, need out of pint glasses. Wake up in the afternoon and start again, my life's tragic. But I still draw girls like DiCaprio on the Titanic. Mug is fantastic. How did you come up with the idea for Mug? Well, uh, Mug I wrote as <laughs> it was going to be called Cunt. <laughs> so it was just going to be the same song, but have some of that you cunt. <laughs> and then um, I was actually signed at the time. And um, I'd written that song to another beat and I'm just sat in the studio. And then uh, the guys who, who I was signed to, they pulled up this beat, which was uh, the Mug beat. It had the Prodigy sample in it. And... Um, I just started doing the chorus over it. I was like, shit, this fits on this so much better. I'm not even going to lie, man. I kind of just changed it because I was like, yo, there's no way I'm getting this song on radio. That's the only time I've changed something for radio. Um, I was like, there's no way I'm getting a song called Cunt on the radio. And I just signed my deal and I was like, this is going to be my first single. I can't call it Cunt. So I was like, yo, what, what, what's going to fit into this rhyme scheme, man? <laughs> so I ended up like switching it to Mug and doing it over that. And then... Um, 
they sent the song to uh, Keith Flint um, before it passed, sadly. Rest in peace to Keith Flint. But yeah, um, he okayed it and there was, yeah, they, they liked the song. So yeah, I was pretty, pretty happy with that, man. Probably a good decision to change that one word, even though it didn't sit right with me at all. But I was like, nah, this, this song's called Cunt, man. This... <laughs> Am I allowed to swear, by the way? <laughs> If you put that in the album, right, does it make you think about what you place around it? Yeah, you're definitely right in the sense of, like, you have to be careful what tunes you sit next to each other. That's hard to do, man. That's one of my biggest um, challenges when it comes to putting a project together, making it cohesive and making it flow as a project is fucking hard, man. Like Maybe that's why this lockdown is so tough. There's no flow between anything in my life right now. Everything's the same. Day and night. Right now, if my life was an album, it'd just be a bunch of tracks that sound the same, one after the other. No originality, nothing changes. But what should I do? What could I write about that would shake things up and allow me to escape a bit? I I would say definitely find something that you're... um either passionate about or have something to say, like have some personal experience. Just It's finding that thing that you can talk about uh, in a way where people are going to relate to it and it's authentic, man. Like, bro, like everyone's been through something and can talk about something with some kind of authenticity, man. And sort of let people get to know you or, or just something in your life that's happened and just sort of be a bit more... Um, I'm trying to look for a good word, man, but do something a bit more meaningful than just barring on a track. So that's one way. And the other? Uh, But then I'd also, on the flip side, have a song that, like, right, imagine yourself going out on a stage and what song would you want to come on that you think is going to make the crowd move a little bit? What song would you open up with? Because, like you were saying, with... um, poetry and stuff and you want to get let them get to that makes a total sense man but with a live show the first thing you have to do is be like come out with a fucking bang because if you come out you can never like in in my style of music anyway and the shows that i do with the people who i play shows with the type of crowds that i'm used to you have to come out with a bang man like you need a banger so like an anti up by mop one of them style beats do you know what i mean okay Two different types of track. Something that you're passionate about, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but a banger. That's two more things to add to the mountain of stuff I have going on. I ask if he has any other advice for keeping afloat during the pandemic. How did Luna pick himself up and get so much work produced? Wow, yeah. Um, Bro, it's mad because I've been actually thinking about this today, just kind of focus on one thing at a time, man, and just have tunnel vision with that until you've got to the point that you're happy with, rather than, like, don't start 10 things. Like, don't start 10 songs. Like, do them all one at a time and really focus on that one thing. Don't even think about the rest of it until you're really happy with that first step. So, yeah, I definitely try to do that. But then again... I'm going to completely contradict myself um, and say that sometimes if you do do that and you get to the halfway point and it's doing your head in and you get that writer's block or whatever, sometimes do just fucking start the next thing. 
but just don't start too many things. Do you know what I mean? It also depends on what you're like as a creative, because I can sort of bounce between like two things. I can't do more than two, but I can sort of bounce between two things and kind of keep enthusiasm for both of them a bit easier than I can focus on one thing sometimes. So yeah, everything I just said means absolutely nothing because I contradicted it, but it, it kind of depends on you. It really depends on you, man, whether, you, whether you're one of them guys who has to have tunnel vision or if you can multitask. And it, working that out is a big thing. Yeah, I'm definitely not one of those guys who can multitask either. There's a, a guy in the industry called Mark. I actually forgot his second name, which is shit, but um, he used to be a labyrinth manager. And um, back when I did like a couple of songs with Labyrinth through SBTV and stuff, who was in the studio with him, he was pretty much saying like, yo, if your goal is to buy your mum a house or to buy yourself a house or to buy a car and that's all you want from music, that is fair enough. And just have, have that vision and just work towards that rather than working towards 20 other things, man. And it's the same I'm saying about what I was saying about making the songs like just you can spread yourself too thin, man. And, and that's, that's, that's your personal, that's what you want in life, man. And once you decide that, it makes it so much easier to know what direction you're going in, man, because you know what you want, that's it. Effect, like you, you're making money out of doing something that you love and you've found a route. But until you decide what you actually want, it's not, it's not as easy to see that, man, because like, when you're young and you're, and you're just, when, when this guy was saying this to me, like, have one goal, I didn't really get it because I was like, no, I don't want one goal. I want to do everything. I want to travel the world. I want to buy all my family. I want to be a millionaire. I want to, I want to play fucking every big festival. Of what, you know what I mean? But a lot of those things come through focusing on what the fuck you need to focus on. And they, they just, they happen anyway, if you get me. It's figuring out what, which one of those things you actually care about and can't do without, do you know what I mean? That's the main thing. I go away from my conversation with Luna feeling motivated. Before I can even think about writing, I have to get the rest of my life in order. Thankfully, Luna's advice can help me with that as well. So I make a list. One with all of the small things that need doing. I put each on a different card and I make a stack of them, so I can only see one card and one item at a time. Over the next three days, I just focus on that top item on the list until it's done. I bin the card. Focus on the next one. By the afternoon of the third day, I've created some space for myself, space to escape. I can get out of my rut for a few hours and try to do something new, something original. I decide to take Luna's lead and write something unique to me, something that only I could write. If I'm honest, the banger idea just feels impossible. I I don't even feel like I know what a banger really is. I think I just lack the confidence or the coolness to carry it off. Writing about something I know, though, I could do that. Last series, I wrote something really personal about my mental health. I'm really proud of the piece I wrote, but the writing process was exhausting. And I I don't think I have the strength for something so personal right now. But maybe there's something lighter, something that's still unique to my past experiences. Since lockdown, so much of my past feels distant to me. 
Even writing about small, boring things I used to do, like going to the barbers, feels deeply emotional right now. I feel like I could take almost any aspect of my past life and it would feel significant. Over the next few days, I think about topics and each time my mind comes back to teaching. The more I think about it, the more that makes sense. The track I enjoyed writing the most in season one was about inset days. Perhaps I could write about something else I've experienced as a teacher, something that covers how I feel about education, where we're at, where we're going wrong, particularly with students like Luna. What about parents' evenings? I remember parents' evenings really well. They're quite intense events. There's a lot I have to say about them, and I haven't ever heard anyone rap about them before. So I grabbed a beat. I wanted something that sounded familiar and a little musacky, kind of like the pop you'd get in a waiting room. So I hit on this beat on a track by the Sugar Babes. Yeah, that one. And I started writing. After three weeks, I was done. Here it is. See what you think. 4pm, sat on the carpet, surrounded by books that haven't been marked yet. Outside the door there's a sound of laughing and you chat them all down, but you haven't the heart because it's parents' evening. Parents' evening, four weeks in as you stare at the ceiling from the corner of your eye. The appointment sheet has got so many names on you barely believe it. Why'd you agree to teach drama stuck with a hundred year sevens? Less than a month in, nothing but munchkins, they all look the same. And this early on you don't know their names. There's the height ones, polite ones too, had a fight. Plus Tyler, who's a pipe bomb, you had to stop blowing up. He's the one you've noticed, you love someone from home in, but they've had so many roastings they ain't even showing up in the hall you find out you're sitting in the dingiest bit where the bins are filling so you shift some bags stack books and flip your laptop open try and look legit and as parents then start drifting in most don't seem to have their kids with them this will be fun without a reference to hand we're jody's parents oh excellent thanks so yeah what do you think i'm happy with it i think it feels original and like i've taken a step forward too, shared a little more of myself, something I didn't feel I'd be able to do before my chat with Luna. His courage in stepping out from his battling persona, revealing personal details to his audience, that really got me thinking. And I don't know, perhaps that's got you thinking too. Half an hour in. Already you hate this, each statement you're making is increasingly outrageous You're pretty sure you claim someone's kid don't work because he's under the power of an Egyptian curse All parents with notebooks increasingly step up What are your concerns? You're tempted to say it's our increasing obsession with assessment culture for the sake of assessment But that doesn't help much now and then you notice Peter's staring You need to get a move on right now you're paired with the daddy's broken down with a teary confession About his TikTok addiction, why his wife left him It's a mess, the stresses seem endless Here where statistics meet with EastEnders Science have spreadsheets and mini projectors You forgot your own sandwich, how they get all that? That together. If you're looking for a challenge to write to, why not write about a job you once had? Perhaps there's a job you love, or hated, or had complicated feelings towards. Perhaps you're still in that job now. Either way, what would 16 bars of rap about that job sound like? If you do write something, and you email it to me at mark at markgrist.com, I'll be sure to listen to it. 
A selection of the material sent in will also feature in the final episode of this series. As for me, once I'd finished the piece, I thought about the other option Luna gave me. The banger. I still don't know what makes a banger, really. And to be honest with you, writing one sounds as impossible as winning a rap battle did when I was teaching. But maybe that's a good reason to try it. If I could work out what a banger is, what defines a banger, what the rules are, maybe then I could get my head around it, attempt the impossible, for me at least, and learn how to write a banger. Next time on Mark Can't Rap. Throughout this pandemic, the rules of time have changed somehow. Like, I feel like the government is messing with us. I feel like we've been told a lot of lies. Is that like an isolating experience for you? Like I said, I had two weeks in the hospital to really have this like, you know, this moment of clarity. I'm going to try and write a banger. Um... <laughs> Wicked, what's the banger going to be know. about? I don't know, I don't know. I... <laughs> this episode of Mark Can't Rap was written and narrated by me, Mark Grist. It featured an interview with Lunacy, script editing by Ross Sutherland, and audio editing and production by Juxta. This podcast was supported using public funding from Arts Council England. Thanks for listening.